Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're going to be talking about Matthew and somebody else was talking They had posted several different verses. I made a comment about that. Yeah, let's see. What he said originally, he says, uh, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And he quotes Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith of Christ. Now, that's an interesting, by the faith of Christ. We're justified by the faith of Christ, not by our faith in Christ. And not by the works of the law. And, of course, we know the Greek word there is nomos, which can mean all kinds of different laws. It can mean uh, uh, corporate law. It could mean fiduciary law. It could mean the law of the state. It could mean the law of the Pharisees. It, which, was, of course, was a state. It could mean lots of different uh, natural law. I mean, can we break natural law now? <laughs> Is gravity still in effect? Uh, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. By the works of what law? Again, we have to go back to that, finding out what they're talking about. And and then he says in Galatians 3.22, he puts that quote down. They think these are pretty cut and dry, and they are pretty evident. But you can have a lot of preconceived notions before you get to Galatians 3.22 that it causes you to interpret it a certain way. It says, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ, again, faith of Jesus Christ, might be given to them that believe. So the faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. So if they had the faith of Jesus Christ, they could step out of the boat. Right? Because they had the faith of Christ. He walked on water. Do you, you should be able to walk on water too. Right? Well, maybe you're not up to that stage, but at least you ought to be able to do some of the things that Christ was doing and certainly some of the things that the apostles were doing because you're given this faith to them that believe. And it's by faith Christ healed people. It's by faith that Christ was able to say what he said. Because he loved the light. He didn't hate the light. And he wasn't certainly was not a worker of iniquity. And then, of course, there's John 3.16, which he also quotes. He says, for God so loved the world. And, of course, we all know, who listen regularly, know there are four different words It could be at least five different words in the Greek that could all be translated world, but mean something quite different. So you'd want to know which one he's talking about there. Well, he's talking about the constitutional orders and systems of government on this planet. That's why he came into that constitutional order and system of government of Judea and Rome and professed the truth. Of what was going to save you and what was going to destroy you. What was going to produce fruit and what was not going to produce fruit. Because at that particular time, Rome was doing a lot of things that were not going to produce fruit. 
And Judea was doing many of those same things because of the Herod and because of the Pharisees and also because of the Sadducees and probably the Zealots. The Zealots were going to live by the sword. Not all Zealots, but there was definitely a military faction amongst the Zealots. There was also military training in the Essenes in, in some of the enclaves that would be classified as a scene. They they studied weaponry because they're out there in the middle of nowhere. There's no Roman garrison stationed there to protect them. Thieves and robbers could break in. They need to know how to defend themselves. It wasn't that they were going to overthrow the government, you know, and get rid of the corrupt regimes of Caligula or uh, some of these other terribly corrupt emperors that came into power, or Herod, or Herod's sons, who were often corrupt. I mean, John the Baptist thought that that uh, Herod Antipas was in violation of a law. I don't know if it's the law they're talking about in Galatians, but it's a law that he was in violation of in Judea. And John the Baptist called him out on it. And he got into trouble with the government. <laughs> so, uh, and so you can do that. But of course we're warned also in the New Testament not to speak ill of the kings. Because you, know, you never know who's listening. <laughs> and I, I don't want to speak ill of any of the kings. But you know they make serious mistakes that are injuring people. I, I have an obligation to warn them. But So John 3.16 is saying, For God so loved this world, this constitutional order and system of government, not because it was a good system of government or because it had evolved into something that is even better than it was when it began. Because originally Rome was a constitutional order and system of government, but it was a republic where most of the people were free from things public. There was almost no imposed taxes. There was no professional army. They had an army, but it wasn't professional. Something else bound them together to produce a a reasonably powerful army. Although something else came into play that weakened them so that their army was not so strong. If we remember back when the Jutes invaded Rome, they pretty much scared the Bejesus out of uh, the Romans and they all fled and the Jews got to walk around Rome and see all these mansions and homes that Rome had built. Rome had done some amazing engineering feats by that time. They weren't a giant empire, but they had cleverly started building stone aqueducts and then aqueducts that were buried under the ground like pipes, you know, where they... They put the stones all together. Some of those are still around. You can still walk in them. You know, they're... You know, a tall guy might bump his head, but a regular Roman who is not usually a tall guy, he could get around in those tunnels really easy. But it was an amazing nation, and it was a nation built on liberty of the individual, not on kings ruling over other people, not on men exercising authority over other people. And this this was something that God loved, because that's what Israel was. Israel was a nation that had no king. And they were warned about even having a king. Of course, they ended up falling prey to the idea that, oh, we need a king, we need a prime minister, we need a president, because 
there's corruption. We need them to get rid of the corruption because we just don't, we can't be bothered with that. Well, that was because they'd already turned away from God. That they even wanted a king or prime minister or president. They'd already turned away from God. They'd already rejected me. It's not that they rejected you, Samuel. It's that they rejected me. So all the people and all the nations who have got a king, a prime minister, or a president, I don't know, there might be some other names that you have for the 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 executive, highest executive, the principas executive of that government. But we know that if you have that, or if you wanted to have that, somebody else might have imposed it on you. But if you wanted to have that, and you want to get just the right king in place, and you think that is your salvation, that will save things, that will fix things, then you've already rejected God. Because the kingdom of God wasn't established that way. In the kingdom of God, God is king. (laughs) That's it. And all of you are kings of your families. Kings and queens in your own families. And then you have to figure out how to come together as a free society. And of course, Moses taught us how to do that. But the Pharisees taught us something different. And that's where the conflict between Christ came. And so a lot of people look at the Pharisees and they say, oh, Jesus did away with the Old Testament. No, he did away with the interpretation of the Old Testament provided to the people by blind guides, which were called Pharisees at that time. And not all Pharisees were blind, because some came to the camp of Jesus and and Jesus said they weren't far from the kingdom. They They could see. And, and we know that some Pharisees became Christians. And so, yeah. Now the question is, all these people out there claiming to be Christians today, are they Christians? Well, not according to what Jesus predicted. He said, many would come in my name, but I don't even know them. They're workers of iniquity. And so, yeah, they might, you know, believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In other words, so that you might be saved. But uh, if you want everlasting life, now if you want to approach life, Jesus said, keep the commandments. Wait a minute. Doesn't Jesus know that we don't have to keep the law anymore? (laughs) No, this is how they take out verses right out of the mouth of Jesus Christ Create a doctrine that, oh yeah, we sin, oh yeah, we, you know, I committed adultery, yeah, oh yeah, I for, oh yeah, I covet my neighbor's goods, the men who exercise authority, yeah, I do all that stuff, but, you know, I believe in Jesus. So I have everlasting life, but that's not what Jesus said. When the rich man came up to him, he said, if you want to approach life, just approach it. Thou knowest the commandments, keep them. Now he's talking about the Ten Commandments. He's not talking about all the laws made up by the Pharisees, what we call statutes of Moses, poorly translated, from the point of view of somebody who studied the law for, you know, 50 years. The statutes of Moses is really a poor, and they don't always translate it statutes. Sometimes they translate it ordinance. Sometimes they translate it judgments. The judgments of Moses. That's a, that's a pretty good translation. Judgment. 
Because he's saying that in this case, in this case, and when you do this, I my judgment is this. And what that makes, those judgments, that's the precedence, precedence for a common law court, which is what Moses set up. He said, you know, we're going to let the people gather and form literally juries based on their congregational groups, and they will decide fact and law. They will handle the cases. And if they can't handle it down there at the lower level, they can appeal up through the cities of refuge, which he set up 48 different cities of refuge, which was set up through the ministers who were mostly in charge of the daily bread, of the daily ministration. What we see the early church doing with the daily ministration, which was divided rightly from house to house. We see that right in the text. But if you remove that and you say, well, yeah, they were handing out communion, and you don't realize that they were actually the social safety net of society, then you, you're going to end up reading some of these other verses and you think, well, I believe. But if you're eating at the table of rulers... If you covet your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority one over the other, you're actually a worker of iniquity. And you're not following Christ. And and I don't know who you believe in, and you might call him Jesus, and you might call him Christ, but it ain't the real Christ. And, and when I explain this to people, I, I, I was going to share... Uh, I, I shared the Strong Delusion article with them. I don't know if they read it. Or what I'll probably share is the Works of Iniquity article, which you can find by going to prepare, preparing you and looking up iniquity. And I may also share this broadcast with them. Because <laughs> I, I gave them an answer and I give them time to come back with an answer. But they they often... It, 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 everything goes silent. Because... <laughs> uh, well, it's so simple. All we have to do is believe. We can keep going on in sin. We can covet our neighbor's goods. We can rule over our neighbor and rule over the na- next country. And we can send bombers over and blow people up. And, you know, we can do all that stuff. You know, we, we can establish the Corbin of the Pharisees. And we're still saved because we believe. But how many places does it tell you in the Bible that no... No, you actually may not believe. <laughs> so, so anyway, I, I wrote him by, by taking these verses out of context of the whole doctrine of Christ, you can create false doctrines of men. And while saying, Lord, Lord, in your churches and doing wonderful things, you may still be rejected as never knowing him a worker of iniquity and under a strong delusion. And so then I also sent him the link because the guy who originally posted that, uh, Albert the Third, uh, he, he said, uh, that this was straightforward scripture. Yeah, it's straightforward scripture, but if you take it out of the context of all the other straightforward stuff that Jesus said and ignore that, like you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. If you take that out, don't look at that ever. And and you don't know how many times I've quoted that. And people says, is that in the Bible? <laughs> and these are, I've done this 
in a room full of preachers. And they didn't know that was in the Bible. You know, and I asked, I asked them, what's the weightier matters? And I have, I've asked that all across the U.S. and I've only had two people that answer and they knew because they were already listening to me. <laughs> but Jesus said that certain things were the weightier matters. If you don't know what Jesus is calling the weightier matters, you may not know Jesus. You might not. I'm not saying you don't. I'm just, but the, it does tell us in the Bible how to tell whether or not we know Jesus. What, do we love the truth? Do we love the light? Well, that's what I've been doing is sharing the light, sharing the truth with people. Thought I'd put this in at the beginning, and then we'll get on to uh, Matthew. Unless we get all kinds of questions, we'll get on to Matthew. What are we in now? Twenty-two. So anyway. Um, and, you know, I wrote back to Frederick that I know many who say they believe all those scriptures that he had listed, and even Jesus speaks of them, but they seem to be under a strong delusion. I know many people that see it, but like I say, they to me they appear to be under a strong delusion based on what I know about scripture. And, of course, I just quoted Thessalonians Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 10 and with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth. They don't, they don't really want to know the truth. They want to believe they already know the truth. They already believe in Jesus and they're already saved. But it says they didn't receive the love of the truth that they might be saved because you need the love of the truth to be saved. Christ died so that you might be saved. And so that, that's, that's an element of the, the gospel that we should not forget and not think that it's about magic phrases. You say certain things with your mouth. You deny them a hundred different ways with your actions and your deeds. And you think you're still saved. No, no, doesn't work that way. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion. That they should believe a lie. Well, why is God sending them a strong delusion? It's like he's putting this delusion in their brain. Well, no. They don't love the truth. They And they, and we'll see in John, which is equating to not loving the light. And so, if you don't love the light, you'll avoid the light. If you avoid the light, you'll end up in darkness. If you end up in darkness, you may create all kinds of strong delusions by reading bits and pieces of the gospel and holding them up and pretending that you believe them. And we should be checking this all the time. And it goes on in verse 12 that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So what is pleasure in unrighteousness? I should equate that. I could probably make a link to that because... There are the rewards of unrighteousness. We we read about that in the New Testament. And then we have the wages of unrighteousness. And so the pleasure in unrighteousness is kind of the same in the same ballpark. That's taking pleasure in the wages, in the rewards of unrighteousness. And what are those? Well, that's those gifts, gratuities, and benefits offered to you by men who exercise authority one over the other and take away from your neighbor so that you can have free stuff. Which is very clearly a covetous practice just by definition. 
And if it's a covetous practice, Peter tells us it will make us merchandise. And when I look out in the world, knowing what I know about law <laughs> and history, and, uh, you know, like our study on Exodus, how did the Israelites go into bondage in Egypt? Well, they ate at the table of Pharaoh. And they ate free at the table of Pharaoh because they didn't have any more money. They were broke. And so they said, well, yeah, I will eat your bread, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, okay, but now you owe me 20% of your labor, one-fifth of your labor from now on. Your labor is not entirely yours. You're giving up a portion of your labor. And that's a quote, that's an idea that pops up hundreds of times in the Bible. Because God gave you the right, the, the means of production. I, I talked about this this morning, in this morning show when we were going through Matthew. The means of production mostly is your labor. If you don't have any way of laboring, or any way of working, it doesn't, I don't care how many hammers and saws I give you, you're not going to produce anything. Because your, your ability to work is the means of production. So, all, it's so amazing, all the socialists who want to get rid of capitalism, which we just saw in Matthew, that Jesus is an absolute capitalist. <laughs> God is an absolute capitalist. And, but the, the, they all want the control of the means of production because what they want to really, what they're really saying is I want to take away the means of production owned by somebody else and I want to have control over it. But in order to do this, I have to enter into this cooperative, this common cooperative, where all of my labor will not belong to me. It will belong to the cooperative. And so, but your labor is your means of production. So in order to create your socialist state, you have to give somebody else, the collective, access to your means of production, your labor. They're going to own part of your labor. And then, I don't know if you're going to do it by a total democratic vote. If it's a small group, you can probably get away with that. Or you're going to elect a board and it's going to decide. But somebody's going to take your labor and what it produces and redistribute it amongst your cooperative or your socialist state or your communist state. Somebody's going to have the right to choose how your labor is redistributed. And, of course, that's totally anti-Moses. That's totally anti-Elijah. That's totally anti-Christ. But you can do that. It's not anti-Cain. It's not anti-Nimrod. It certainly wasn't anti-Pharaoh. Those systems all did that. And in the system of Herod and the Pharisees that we call the Corbin of the Pharisees, which is basically the sacrifice of the Pharisees. Many of you know this, but somebody might be listening and not know that the word Corbin means sacrifice. But the Corbin of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect because it wasn't voluntary anymore. See, there's redistribution of wealth in the kingdom of God, but it's, we, we do it through charity. When John the Baptist came along, everybody was doing it by force. Force contributions taken in by some corporate or governmental group or benefactor and then he redistributes it. But it's not by charity. It's by force. And John the Baptist said, no, do it by charity. Jesus said, do it by charity. 
Peter said, do it by charity. Paul said, do it by charity. Paul said, if you don't have the charity, you don't got anything. But you look at all these churches out here today, and 80 to 90 or more percent of the social welfare they receive, they receive not from the church, but from men who exercise authority. They do not receive it by way of, of charity, they receive it by way of force. We call it legal charity, but legal has to do with binding, bound charity. You have to give in. You have to. If you don't, you go to jail. We can actually, if you don't pay the property tax, we can take your house away. If you just don't pay a little bit of the property tax, we'll take the whole house away, sell it, take all the money, all the money from the sale, and we'll put it in our treasury which is another word for Corbin, was also translated into treasury because all those four-star friends went into a treasury. So, you know, Brenda uh, Bannerman also spoke on this little group and, and said, yes, we've been given a template to help us understand our deliverance and wilderness journey. Faith alone is how... We are saved out of our Egypt, followed by our Red Sea baptism and entry into the covenant. Well, like I just said, everybody's back in Egypt again. You know, when I was seven years old, my father, attorney, book writer, law book writer, uh, professor at, I don't remember what university he taught at. He taught at one for a short period of time. Uh, when he moved out to California because you had to wait a year before you could take the bar exam. And uh, and he taught somewhere at some university. I don't know if it's UCLA or somewhere. But he only did it because he passed the first time he took it. But but the reality is is that he knew he was back in Egypt. He knew that, you know, until, you know, he had to work for the Pharaoh first. And and the Pharaoh took his cut, and then what was left over, he got to keep. Of course, the Pharaoh, you know, Joseph made the deal for the Pharaoh. And uh, actually, you know, we quote the guy who made the deal for FDR. We quote his book in the book Covenants of the Gods. So you know that you've been making covenants, swearing oaths, applying for benefits... That have made you merchandise. According to Peter. He said it would make you merchandise. And it did. And now it's cursing your children. With runaway inflation. That you know. A debt that they will never be able to pay off. That will probably collapse the economy. And bring in foreign invaders. Just like we saw with Israel. Because you followed the way of Israel. You haven't. You know. The, the, the decadence of Israel. Not the righteous way of Israel. The unrighteous way. Because You. Didn't read all the instructions. You know, that that's a good metaphor, reading all the instructions, you know. Uh, and I'm a big instruction reader. Uh, I don't know if I learned to be that, but, you know, when you're going to, you're putting something together, read the instructions, you know. Uh, years and years ago, half a century ago, I was working in a place and... Uh, we wanted to put some, we were selling all, we sold everything in the store. I was the manager of the store. And, uh, we sold everything from guns to milk to, to bicycles to clothing to what have you. 
uh, and we needed to put some bicycles up on the uh, display. Well, I could get somebody else to do it, but you know, I w- I I like to work, <laughs> and you know, I, I get the bookkeeping done. You know, that count the money. <laughs> then I want to go out and do stuff. So I said, oh, I'll put together the bicycles. So the first thing I did was dump everything out of the bicycle case. And you get the frame and the handles and the pedals and all these things and the wheels and everything. And you have to start putting it together. And uh, I, I, the last thing that came out of the box was the instructions. And so I picked up the instructions and I read the instructions. And I didn't get very far because they were in broken English. We sold a lot of Chinese stuff even way back then, half a century ago. Yeah, Chinese, probably Taiwan in those days. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure most of the the, the tools that we said they actually had this whole line of tools, and it said fully guaranteed, where guaranteed was spelled not with an R but with an L. I don't know if that subverted the contract. <laughs> was that a loophole? <laughs> they. It doesn't say guaranteed. It says guaranteed. <laughs> but I mean, this is this is a big outfit. I mean, we had stores all over the Midwest, and that was our major tool that we sold. I can't remember the name of the tool. I can kind of remember the package, but I remember the fully guaranteed. But uh, anyway, I was reading the instruction. They were broken English, and it was point, you know, hook, bolt, a to. You know, nut A to bolt A and all this stuff. And I'm looking at it and everything. And I just set it aside and I put the bike together. <laughs> so I had put a lot of bikes together. But generally speaking, on anything complicated, you want to read the instructions. And you want to read them first and then start doing it. Don't just start step one. Find out if you got all the parts and all the materials and see if everything's there. Well, this is what you have to do if you're going to read the instructions that Christ has passed down to us through the Bible. You can't leave out verses. Stop doing that. It's very dangerous. It's it's how you get under the strong delusion. You don't want to do that. So anyway, what uh, in I won't go through it all now, but I should do a show on it. But we're do- going through Matthew, so we'll keep going through Matthew. But, you know, I bring this up. Some of these same verses I bring up in uh, the article on iniquity. And uh, including, you know, 316, but then I take you on to 319. Now, you have to remember, this is the same thing that you'll read if you go read the article on born again. People think, well, I'm born again. I'm saved. But you got to read a little bit farther. There's some more instructions there. Uh, you 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 can't just ignore part of what Jesus says and think you got it. That that if you do that, you'll end up in a nation that is literally gone crazy. <laughs> Uh, where the, the leaders have become dictators, they sell you out to foreign countries, the uh, military-industrial complex will control almost every decision, uh, you'll be in debt by trillions and trillions of dollars. This is what's going to happen. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. 
That's already happened. <laughs> it's because you haven't read all the instructions. So here at His Holy Church and Keys of the Kingdom, we're going to read you the instructions. And so I'm not going to go through the the articles up there. You can go read them. It's got a hundred links on it. Uh, just just panning down really quick. It has a checklist to see if you're really a Christian or not. You know, it's kind of like that checklist with uh, if if you you know. Lose your car in the backyard because the grass is so high, you're probably a redneck. Or I don't know what all the rules are. But, well, we have a whole deal with probably a, a Christian or probably not a Christian. And you can go through that checklist on your own. It's about midway down on that page. It's on a couple of the pages. But, anyway, we're going to go through Matthew 22. We went through Matthew 21 this morning. and uh, And so... Where did it go? <laughs> oh, here it is. Okay. On the other side of my mic. Let me take a look and see if anybody's raised their hands. Anybody else coming in? Okay. Okay, there's still a lot of people in the queue. But anyway, we'll get through Matthew 22. I don't remember how long it is. And we'll see where we can go from there. So, Matthew 22 starts with the parable of the wedding feast. And there's some interesting things that we get in this that are, are just terribly misunderstood. You know, like, what's with the wedding garment? You know, so I've written a whole article on wedding garments, whole article on garments. And, of course, that started back when we were doing Exodus because they were talking about garments all the time. And you wouldn't know this. I mean, it's great to study the Greek and study the New Testament. But when there, we saw, and just in the last study of the last chapter, that Christ is going back all the time. And why is he riding a donkey into Jerusalem? What's the significance of that? And it tells you right there in the gospel. So that, so, so that what was said in Zechariah is fulfilled. So we, we show you what they said there. Well, when they're talking about garments, these are often metaphors. So how was that metaphor used in the Old Testament? Because it's not the same word in the Greek, and the Greek word doesn't have the same nuances that the that the word in the Hebrew has. And so, knowing these other things can be helpful for my job. All you need to know is the Holy Spirit, but you got to make sure it's really the Holy Spirit. I was just listening to a guy who had either near death or completely dead and came back experienced. I mean, his deal is that he... He died, and and for all intents and purposes, he died. But then he came back, and he t- said what he saw, and he explained what he saw. And what, one of the first things that contacted him was evil, telling him, just stop breathing. And he realized it was evil, and it went away. I have had a similar experience, not on a near-death experience, but where I heard something I thought might be God, but something in me said, something's wrong with this voice. And I just turned to God. I just, in my heart, I just said, God, you you have to protect me. I turned to him because I knew I couldn't tell. This was very early on, very young age. And all of a sudden I heard the same voice screaming, you know, like the Wilhelm scream, like falling down a, uh, a pit. And it it disappeared, and I never heard that voice again. Uh, I didn't hear God booming in, but uh, it began to set me on on a path. 
as part of my, you know, very Kodak moment, very memorable moment. But other times I've told you stories where I just knelt down and said, I can't figure it out. Very important, this idea of humility, and this is going to come up, this idea of humbling yourself and realizing, I can't figure it out. You know, I just added to our page on hate. Very important to understand hate. And what hate doesn't exist. Did you know that? Hate doesn't exist. <laughs> you, you can manifest certain behaviors when you hate. But hate itself doesn't exist. Now, I'll give you an example. I know a lot of people are saying, what is he talking about? I know hate exists. Well, does darkness exist? So, can you put darkness in a box? I know you close up a box and there'll be darkness in there. But what have you done? You blocked out the light. You blocked out the light and what you end up with is darkness. It's the same with the cold. Cold's not a thing. Cold is the absence of something, which is heat. And, and see, the same thing with evil. Evil is what comes about when you're not filled with the righteousness of God, with the good of God, with the light of God, with the truth of God. When you leave out some verses, <laughs> some aspects of the truth that Christ came to give us, if you leave that out, you're leaving out some of the light. And the more you leave out, the darker and darker it gets. I'm trying to give you the rest of the story, the rest of the light. And of course, I can't give it to you, but I can talk about it. And then you can measure yourself. We can have the conversation. And you can measure yourself. Where's the light in me? Do I get angry? Do I get impatient? Do I get afraid? All this is evidence. But I mean, like... Am I fornicating, committing adultery? What are some of the other things? Am I a boaster? Am I an extortioner? Did you know that almost everybody in America today, everybody in the world, in many cases, I, I don't know, I haven't surveyed everybody, are extortioners. Some element of extortion is in them. And, and, and I can show you why. But that's not the topic of the show. But we are going to get into extortion. But that will be in Matthew 23. <laughs> but anyway. So the, the, this first thing in 22, it starts out the, the parable of the wedding feast. And now, remember, we're just leaving uh, Matthew 21. And Matthew 21 had the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It had him casting out the money changers. He gives you a prophecy of the fig tree that does not bear any fruit. He's going to cause it to wilt and disappear and be fit for nothing but firewood because it didn't bear any fruit. We also know that he tells us that he's going to take the kingdom away from the Pharisees because they don't bear fruit. And we know that they don't bear fruit because of their system of Corbin. If you know that their system of Corbin is their system of sacrifice, and what, what, what sacrifice is that? It's it's what they pay into the government to take care of the widows and needy of the or of, of of the society. They take care of the needy of society by their sacrifice, by giving it into their priests, and the priests create the social safety net. I mean, David talked about that. He talks about a 
something that should have been a table that should have been for their welfare, but became a snare and a trap. Proverb talks about it, you know, that if you sit and eat with a ruler and you be a man of appetite, put a knife to your throat because he serves deceitful dainties. That's that table that is a snare. And we give you all kinds of articles. We can explain the law. We can explain the history. We can explain the effect of what happens and all that is taking place today. Because people didn't read the instructions. So, in this, he also talks about the parable of the two sons. So, what does that have to do with the fig tree? Well, one son said he was going to do it. Because they says, I believe you, Father. I will do it. I have faith. I will do what you say. But he didn't. And the other one had said, prior to that, I don't want to do it. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do it. But then he thought, yeah, I really should do it. <laughs> you know, it's my dad. And he went back and he did it. So who, who did the will of the Father? And this is why Jesus says, not those who call me Lord, Lord, or say I believe in Jesus and that I accept Jesus and all this stuff, but those who actually do it the will of the Father. And of course, if you read on there in John 3.19, you'll see that if you have deeds of iniquity, which would fall under the category of covetous practices, or going to men who exercise authority, You're not keeping the word of Jesus. Because he said, it wasn't to be that way with us. You see, if you you don't take in the whole gospel, you end up with a lie. And you believe the lie. And it becomes a strong delusion because you're led by men who sit in darkness. So, anyway, the kingdom was going to be taken from them and it was appointed to the apostles. And we see that in the text and we see that in the footnotes. I give you the footnotes to show you, you know, what verses, you know, he said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. And he says, it's my good pleasure to appoint it to the little flock. And then he appoints it to the little flock. But then he he says, you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. That, I mean, that's simple. That's right there. That's logical. It, it's factual. It's repeated over and over again. But right now, and then of course I have an article on money changers. Because he cast out the money changers by turning their tables over to somebody else. That's what he was doing. But the the people who were to be at those tables were not to be picked from the top down. That's what was happening. They were being picked from the top down. But the kingdom of God put the choice in the hands of the people. The exousia, which we talked briefly about this morning, which is two words, exousia. But anyway, we'll, we'll get into those. Uh, and we have articles up, so you can look those up and you can find those. But we're going to look at 22 uh, to see if we can get through that. Uh, look at the time, yeah. I don't have to worry about breaks. No break for me today. The parable of the wedding feast. And Jesus answered and spake, unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. Okay, Christ is the son of God. 
He's come preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Same thing. And there's the church is always referred to by many people as a bride. And uh, the false church would be called a harlot. It's in it for the money. <laughs> it's not in it for the love. It's not more precious than a ruby, as Proverbs says. So the bride of Christ, whoever that is, is is going to be like a servant to Christ. And, and you know, the legal aspect of this is just absolutely astounding and amazing. I shared it once real publicly with all kinds of guys who were very versed in the law and they were just like blown away. They Somebody had made a chart and they were saying, well, this is this and this is this and they're showing down and then I says, well, what, what about, you know, well, there's a process called equitable conversion or reconversion and because they're, they're both, they're, you know, obviously conversion is one thing, reconversion is going back the other way. And I asked a simple question about trustees. And of course, you know, God created a trust in the garden. What, and he gave you the terms of the trust. He gave you dominion in trust. You don't actually own the planet. God owns the planet. But he gave you dominion over the planet. And he gave you a directive, the instructions. Dress it and keep it. So two things that dressing it sounds like work. Some sort of work that we have, you know, we had to name the animals and then we, we have to also dress it and keep it. So if he gave us that directive to keep it, we could lose it. <laughs> we could actually own nothing <laughs> and somebody will expect us to be happy. And of course, you know, when I wrote the book Covenants of the Gods, free online free online. Thank God at last it's free online. <laughs> it's always been free online. So anybody can download it and read it. You know, I'm not selling books. I'm, I'm sharing the truth. I'm sharing the light. Whether you let the light in or not, that'll be up to you. So, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king. So he's telling us how it's like a certain king. And he's used this word like a number of times in relationship to the kingdom of heaven in Matthew. Matthew is the only one who mentions the kingdom of heaven. It's the same as the kingdom of God. And sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come. So this is what Jesus is doing. He's calling the Pharisees. He's calling the Sadducees. He's calling anybody who would come. Because he's the son of God. And... He's going to take the kingdom away. He just said this. I'm going to take the kingdom away from this in one group. I'm going to give it to another group. So now the church in the wilderness had been this group. And now they're sitting in the seats of Moses. Something he also just said. But now I'm going to give it to another group. This is going to, this is going to be my new bride. This new church. That I'm going to create and appoint a kingdom to. I mean, they're all Jews. And, and he can do this. Because as we explained in previous, you know, we were setting you up to bring you to this point. Jesus is the high priest and king. Technically, high priest and king, not only of Judea, but of Parthia. <laughs> and actually, there, 
it, it, it reaches farther than that. It reaches farther as everybody who lets Christ into their heart and actually follows the instructions. So, anyway, but the, the, uh, I, I, for some reason I am held back from telling you the actual name of the legal process that will eventually come about. Unfortunately, after a lot of people are suffering badly, and many people have died. Of course, many people are dying every day. But that the and we know the rate of increase in deaths has increased in the last two years. A lot more people are dying, unexpectedly dying, and uh, you know, increased deaths. They call it. And they they watch it on charts, and, and that information is creeping out. In but the media is is stifling it, just like they did with a lot of other things. We will tell you, but unfortunately, we have to tell some of this to you in the network. So you have to join the network. It doesn't cost you anything to join the network. It's just a way in which to, and I I want to impress upon people because a lot of people are having difficulty with this. They've always had difficulty with it. Is we created this email network at Preparing You and HisHolyChurch.org. Where you can sign up based on the state in which you live or the country in which you live. If you're in Australia, if you're wherever you're at, you can join that network with an email. You can be an anonymous email or whatever. You join that and you can find out who else is on it and maybe you can set up meets at some neutral place like a restaurant or something or a park or some place and, and get to know other people and Start to form congregations based on geography. Who's closest to you? And you pick, you know, two or three of you gather together and you pick a minister. And that minister, and we make a little record of it. It's not a contract. It's just a a record. You you give us a note and say, yeah, we picked this guy as a minister. And then he, he connects with one of the closest, geographically speaking, the closest overseer to that and that all may take some explanation but we don't exercise authority from the top down you don't give up any of your right to choose if you don't like the minister you pick you can pick another one tomorrow and then another one the next day you can pick two different ministers in the same day although I encourage you to you know give it a little thought (laughs) Don't, don't go crazy but this is how Moses set it up, tens, hundreds, and thousands. And he didn't want to rule over you. Gideon didn't want to rule over you. Jesus Christ didn't want to rule over you. Saul ended up wanting to rule over you. He did a foolish thing. He forced a sacrifice. We're not going to force a sacrifice. It's all free will offered. So nothing changes when you gather. But you can, you can become changed. If you gather in the name of Christ. So, there you go. In the name of Christ. With the faith of Christ. What did he do? He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. We just read that this morning. He came to serve. Are you coming to a congregation to serve others out of love for them and love for God? Because if you're going to, you're gathering a congregation for what you can get out of it, you ain't coming in the name of Christ. That isn't the way it works. You come for what you can put into it. 
to lay down your life for your fellow man. You get to decide how to do that. You know, you can read the instructions, you can pray about it, you you, you have to figure it out. I'm not going to tell you. You have to figure it out. But the more people that gather in this and follow all the instructions of Christ for the ministers, for the congregations and everything, and they're pretty simple, they're not, there is a burden to them. Christ says that, but my burden is light compared to the burden that you now have, which is perpetual debt, <laughs> 30, 40, 50% income tax. You don't own your land. You don't own your children. You don't own your labor. I think that's pretty burdensome. And your nation is filled with leaven. And you have to go read our article on leaven if you don't know what that means. But I'm dropping these little hints. So you get used to these terms if you're new. And when we make this recording available, we want you to send it out to everybody else so that they can hear it and that they can come to the network. And because you're the one that's got to build the network. You're the welcoming committee. You're the ones that are... And don't come on too strong. I come on pretty strong, but it basically it's about love. Love for one another. And the daily administration of that love through the individual choices of the people, for the people, and by the people. So help you God. Because you want God to help you do that. Because you're not going to know how to make those decisions without God. So I'm, I'm going back to those. I know I'm a little bit redundant. I listened to Anomaly the other day. Anomaly rambles on and I thought, well, I ramble on. (laughs) But I I think it would be great if we got on a call together. (laughs) Because I've watched him since he he was voting for, uh, who was he voting for? Uh, A socialist. He was a bit of a socialist when he started. But, you know, so was uh, Thomas Sowell. He was a communist. And then he said, you know, okay, the facts don't bear out that that's a good idea. <laughs> so he, he changed, he changed his uh, whole approach. So this marriage piece between the church established by Christ that he called out and Jesus Christ. There's, there's a wedding. There's, a, there's some sort of connection there. Now there's a lot of churches that claim that, but where have they led you? Because he, he says there will be all kinds of false Christ. And of course when he says false Christ, what he's talking about is false anointed. People who say they're anointed and are not really anointed by God. They're, they're, they have not received that anointing from the dimension of heaven. Let's <laughs> put it that way. So, and if they have, they should give that credit to heaven all the time. I don't know anything except by what God has revealed to me in my heart. And I pray that I don't step outside of his guidance. Especially when it comes to other people. That's a huge responsibility. I don't want to lead anybody astray. And so sometimes I'm led to say certain things. You say, well, he said that before. But somebody new is listening. So I have to say, you you, you got to give me license to ramble. <laughs> so anyway, verse 3. And sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. This is the Pharisees. Again, he sent forth 
other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatling are killed, and all things are ready from uh, come unto the marriage. But they made light of it. They went their ways. One to his farm, another to his merchandise. We see this as a common theme. You know, where it, where the, the guy says, you know, but, oh, let me go bury my, you know, I've got, yeah, but I gotta go do this, and I got, they're just making excuses. The, and people pay no attention. They, they go their own way. And of course, the preachers out there that are saying, oh, you're already saved. Oh, he's an apostasy. Oh, he's a, he's a cult. People always say, you know, a cult is trying to get everybody listening to him and controlled by him. <laughs> and so they can't just leave and he's trying to isolate them from everybody else. I don't want to isolate you. I don't tell you you can't go to your other churches. You can't gather in your home churches or your Episcopal church or your Catholic church. You can still go there. But turning around sometimes takes a little bit of time. Start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And of course, that's why Christ, you know, John the Baptist first and then Jesus Christ is out there preaching and he's going around to all these different places and he's talking to people every day tirelessly. And then they're talking to one another and he's got their attention. And so by the time he comes into Jerusalem, which we saw just in that last chapter, a place where he had to avoid lest he be murdered, and they still want to murder him, but they don't dare because he's so popular amongst the people. Well, the people have to hear in order to become popular. But really, I know that it isn't the people that kept him safe. But it's important that that plays out in the scheme of things. But anyways, they didn't come. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and even slew them. And, of course, we see that with the prophets. And Jesus talks about that later. So this is, again, another common theme. But he's relating this to the kingdom of heaven is like. But then the king heard thereof. He was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers. And burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, as many as ye find, as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with gifts. Now, saying that was furnished with gifts is a very interesting statement. Because if you if you look at all the different commentaries, I've I've gone through all these commentaries and looked at them and see what people other people have to say. It's part of the conversation. That there was an Eastern custom there with wealthy men that if you were to come to his wedding, he would provide garments for you. We still have a semblance of that. We have, uh, you know, bridesmaids and best men, you know, 
that come along that they usually have to put on a certain outfit that's color coded and everything, so you know they're a part of the wedding party. And sometimes, and some uh, they'll people will put armbands on, one for the groom and one for the bride, you know, different colors, and so that everybody knows. Well, that's with the groom's family or group, and this is with the bride. So those are customs that still come down. But he said it was furnished with guests. So they're all coming to the wedding. So there's certain people that he's calling guests, and then there's everybody else who's invited to the wedding, both bad and good. Very interesting. Everybody can come. Gentiles, Samaritans, uh, Canaanites, they can all come. And, of course, we see that as a theme that Jesus points out. Romans can come. You know, the Roman centurion, no greater faith. The good Samaritan, you know, the guy who went and helped somebody for no other reason than just pure love, goes way out of his way to help. The Canaanite woman who wanted her daughter to be healed and was accepted the fact that Jesus referred to her as a dog. (laughs) And she accepted that role and still begged for his mercy. Humility. Again, humility. So, anyway... They're all welcome. But then he goes on and says, And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. So you can see, I've made that a link to an article on wedding garment. And he hath unto him, he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither? not having a wedding garment. And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servant, Bind him, hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So the lack of wedding garment, does that have anything to do with not bearing fruit? With, you know, the fig tree that we just saw? Very important to know. Does that, you know, does it have something to do with it? Is that part of the same principle? Well, maybe we should go look at the wedding garment page <laughs> before we go on to the next one, which about paying taxes. There's a lot to this. I don't know how my voice may give out before we get to the end of it. But it won't be the first time. So the wedding garment, I have a picture there of Lady Godiva uh, on the page. So everybody can, you know, click on that wedding garment and see a picture of Lady Godiva. And uh, completely dressed. <laughs> I should put a link in there. I'm reminding myself. So that you can go read about Lady Godiva and find out who Lady Godiva really was. And the lies told about her. And propagated by lots of artists who like to paint naked women. (laughs) Riding through the street on horseback. Which she never did. Never ever did. But liars have told that about her. So that you wouldn't understand what was the problem that Lady Godiva brought up. Because she's a real gal. She, she's mentioned in the Doomsday Book. And uh, only woman mentioned in the Doomsday Book. But she was there. And so she, she took a stance. 
you guys are going to all have to take the stance of Lady Godiva. And the days to come, it's going to be expensive. Hopefully, you'll have better children than she did. She had a couple of good kids, but some of her kids were pretty... Uh, they needed to be taken out behind the woodshed. But she was a widow. I don't know how long she was a widow. I could probably find that out. But we know that she was a widow. And so some of those children were probably raised in a single parent family. <laughs> you know, that's not a good thing. You should do something about that. If you have kids and you're single, you need to find a husband. You need to find at least a, a male mentor. You need to get an uncle in on the picture on a regular basis. And you need to give him power over the raising of those children. Because it's not good that a woman raised children by herself. It was not meant to be. It's not good that man be alone. It's not good that woman be alone, especially in the rearing of children. So that's a little caveat, a little off the subject. But the Hebrew, Hebrew word for garment, which is beged, is also the Hebrew word for treachery. <laughs> so, this is why I say the nuances of the Hebrew word for garment is also the word for treachery. How is garment treachery? Garment is a covering. And of course, when Adam and Eve were naked in the garden and they realized they were naked, the first thing they wanted to do is cover themselves up with a fig leaf and then eventually animal skins became their garment. Now, we... We lose ourselves in the metaphor and imagine all kinds of things about evolution and we're a bunch of cavemen running around in leather skins and stuff. And it may mean that. But it means more than that. Christ, God, is the prophets are always trying to tell you more. But they put it in this allegory and cryptic way with these metaphors because if he just came right out and told you exactly what he's talking about, they would have burned all the Bibles long ago. But because it's open to people thinking that they can privately interpret the Bible, they keep it around. Like all the people quoting a couple of verses, but rejecting all the other verses. Like the weightier matters verses. And the verses about... Not to be that way with you and uh, not thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. And, you know, all these verses that we keep bringing up, they, they denounce those. They turn their back on those. They don't look at those. So I actually have a quote here in Matthew 22, 11 through 14, <laughs> which we just read so we don't have to read it again. And I also point out that the Eastern uh, customs. Uh, the wedding clothes or garments was uh, often provided by the host when it was a wealthy person's wedding. So, what are the garments of God and of treachery against God? And what is His way and what is not His way? Well, we've just been talking about that. But Isaiah 64, 6 says, But we are all as unclean things, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, leaf like the fig tree leaves, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Our appetites, 
for benefits at the expense of our neighbor have taken us away from the righteousness of God and darkened our eyes so that we live in darkness and we can't see and we end up following people who say they're anointed that they're ministers of God but actually are blind guides and are leading you into iniquity again and back into the bondage of Egypt because that's where you will go wait a minute oh that's where you're at now yeah that's right it's a comfortable bondage. Well, it's getting a little uncomfortable now. But, uh, and it's probably going to get a lot more uncomfortable in the days to come. And, and it's predicted that bad things are going to happen. And bad things always happen, but some seriously bad things are going to happen. But the question is, what side of the equation are you on? Because are you, are you going to be separated from the goats and the sheep? Are you going to be on the sheep side just because you say you believe in Jesus? Because what you do, your deeds. And if you go read John 3.16 on into 3.19, uh, 20, etc. You're going to see that, well, wait a minute. Maybe I am a worker of iniquity. <laughs> Maybe I'm in trouble. But it says here, Augustine of Hippo said that the garment was symbolizing charity. Now, he's way back, Augustine of Hippo. And I don't go along with everything Augustine of Hippo says. But he's way back. And he says that the garment symbolizes charity. I don't think that's 100% true. Well, it could be. It depends on when he said it. I'd have to look at the Greek. <laughs> See? Because the same word that they translate into charity often is the word for love. So maybe it symbolizes love and they could be the same word. You know, when Paul says that word, they translate it charity. When Jesus says it, they translate it most often love. But it's the same thing. If there's no charity, there is no love. And if there is no forgiveness, there won't be much charity. So that's why it's important. You know, the charity is about testing your forgiveness. But he says Martin Luther suggests that the garment represented Christ. Well, Christ represents anointing. The anointing of Christ. The Spirit of Christ. You're anointed by the Spirit of Christ with fire. Not just water. With the oil of Christ. So, yeah. Could say that. But what is... How would you know you were anointed with Christ? By your love. <laughs> Isn't that what the Bible says? By their love. You will know them. Is it loving to send men to your neighbor's house to take away from your neighbor so that you can have free stuff? I don't think that's love. You may call that love. I do not think it means love. But what would that look like to put on Christ? John Calvin says, It is faith and good works because James repeatedly emphasized that faith without works is dead. But I don't really go along with Calvin. That wouldn't be the first time I had a problem with Calvin. But uh, John Calvin. I know another Calvin. I like him. <laughs> but anyway, but uh, I don't dislike John Calvin either. But what he says that says it is faith and good works. Well, that, this is the amazing thing. You know, I could throw you a piece of paper and... I said, well, I just threw a piece of paper at you. Or I could wrap the piece of paper in a five-pound 
iron ball <laughs> and throw it at you. And I, well, I just threw, threw a piece of paper at you. I just hit him with a piece of paper. But the five-pound iron ball may have done a lot of damage. Well, in reverse of that, yeah, you have faith. Even people with no faith have works. Well, what kind of works do they have? You know, works of iniquity are works. You know, uh, and you could you could create a system of social welfare and help everybody get through the depression. And you say, well, look at the wonderful works. I mean, they actually called it works. You know, the public works. You're paid for by tax dollars. It's called a public works. Great works. Built bridges. But built the Golden Gate Bridge. Built Hoover Dam. Built all these things. Uh, uh, Tennessee Valley Authority. Built, 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 built. All these great public works. Great works. But they're all based on forced offerings. Not free will offerings. They weren't based on charity. They were based on force. We, we had already taken a wrong turn way back then. And now you go and read the Bible, but you don't want to look at the weightier matters. You don't want to look at the covetous practices. These are the deeds of the Nicolaitans. These are the deeds of Balaam. Go read an article on that. So the wedding garments, is it faith? Or is it a holy life? And if, you know, the same word for spirit can be the word for life. If you are to enter into the spirit, are you to enter into the life? Are you anointed with the Holy Spirit? Is that your Christ? Is it the Holy Spirit of Christ or is it a false Christ? Are you living by faith? Are you living by and helping other people? Are you caring about other people's lives so that they can live by your charity, by your sacrifice? Are you are you gathering together to serve others? Yeah, see, that's how you get the wedding garment. Now, garments, you know, animal skins aren't this way, but garments are this way. They're woven with a warp and a weft. So, the idea of garments being woven with a warp and a weft, and those garments are a combination of faith and love, and maybe a little hope now and then, stitching the seams up. <laughs> that is the garments that you live by faith, hope, and charity. That will give you the wedding garments. If you're not going to live by faith, hope, and charity, you're naked. You don't have the wedding garments. You're going to be in a lot of trouble. You have to actually become a doer of the word. Not that you're going to earn salvation. God's never going to owe you salvation. That's absolutely true. But if you're a worker of iniquity, if you're engaged in covetous practices, if you're going to men who exercise authority one over the other to get free stuff at the expense of your neighbor, if you're giving the power of choice, the power of choice that God gave you, if you're giving it to other men by sitting and eating at their tables, which David says is a snare, the tables... There, There is a table that should have been for your welfare, but is a snare. David says that. Paul quotes David in the New Testament 
saying the same thing. He talks about their table and our tables. He talks about their covetousness, which he calls idolatry. And he talks about we have nothing without charity. If we don't have a social safety net based on charity, we're not following Christ. If we're not striving to create that, we're not following Christ. If men are guiding you, they're not in any other direction. They're not guiding you in the ways of Christ. So I'll read Isaiah 52. I could read a bunch more on this, but awake, awake. Put on thy strength, O Zion. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For henceforth there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised. I should put a link in there. Note to self. (laughs) And the unclean. Shake thyself from the dust. Arise and sit down. Arise and sit down. So how do you arise and sit down? Well, shake the dust off your feet and gather and we'll show you how to arise and sit down at the same time. O Jerusalem, lose thyself from the bands of thy neck, the yoke of your captivity. O captivity, O captive daughter of Zion, for thus saith the Lord, ye have sold yourself for naught. And he shall be redeemed without money. For thus saith the Lord God. My people went down aforetime into Egypt to sojourn there. And the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now therefore what have I here saith the Lord. That my people is taken away for not. They that rule over them make them to howl, saith the Lord. And my name continually every day is blasphemed. Isaiah 52. So, what, should we feel bad about the position that we're in? We should feel humble about the fact that we've gone back into the bondage of Egypt. We've betrayed God, God's way. We've we've accepted a strong delusion, but we should only be humble about it, which may incur a little bit of what you might call shame or feel like shame, but you're not judge of yourself. You know this, you are not going to see the truth, the whole truth and the light unless you are willing to see your own failure, your own weakness, your own harlotry. And when you can see that, throw yourself on the mercy of God. And start showing mercy to other people by gathering together to care for other people who have not yet seen what maybe you see already. So as soon as you get a congregation together, you should be creating systems of charity where you can help people outside of your congregation or help other congregations. And that's why the network is set up the way Moses did and the way Jesus Christ did. Because Christ said, sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. I didn't make that up. Of course, everybody knew why he said that because that was common. Already, all the synagogues were ten families. You know, people talk about the home church movement and then you have these mega churches with 15,000 people in it. Well, those 15,000 people 
they all go to the priests of the government to get their welfare. They don't go to, you know, these charismatic preachers. They don't get anything from them. As a matter of fact, if you had a need and you you wrote them, they would probably tell you about government agencies to get your help from. Because they're not the benefactors who exercise love. They're the blind guides who send you to men that make you slaves and curse your children. You shouldn't have done that. Have the humility to admit it and let's start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So anyway, let's go on back. Verses about paying taxes to Caesar. Now, if you know the whole history of this, you, you know that this high idea of paying taxes to Caesar. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. They're going to try to get him to say something. So they get him banished on Facebook. Or no, just get him in trouble with the law. And uh, there's a particular word there that can mean snare and trap. It comes from a word that means snare and trap, which is pages. It'd be a different word in the Hebrew, but in the Greek it'd be pages. But it actually means to ensnare. When when they have the whole word pagiduo, it means to legally ensnare, to get you to do something that would be illicit. It would be illegal to get you brought into some form of bondage. And uh, so they're trying to figure out how to do this. So, and, and Matthew's telling us about this, this conniving that they're doing to bring you into this, to, to get Jesus caught saying something that he shouldn't say. Well, what tax? are we talking about? There were a number of taxes. There was a Roman tax. There was a Herodian tax. There was a temple tax. Because the Pharisees had set up a system where you had you were at forced offerings. So what would have normally been for the temple is now a forced offering. And uh, that was not the way Moses set it up. It was free will offerings. It says free will offerings. They don't always translate it free will offerings, but they do it enough. And of course, that's what it means. So they were trying to figure out how to get him to say something that would get him into trouble. And they went out unto him, their disciples, with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true. Flattery. Teach us the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, which has to do with being a respecter of persons. You care for, you don't care for offices. This is why he's down there on the ground, uh, dealing with people on a hands-on basis. He's not this lofty guy. And he's given lots of talks about it. He's not living in a million dollar mansion. Uh, he doesn't have a million dollar trust fund. He was rich, but he made himself poor. That's what Paul says. And he's teaching the people how to care for one another. Yet he says, neither carest thou for any man. He does care for men, but he doesn't care for the respecter of persons care. He doesn't put one man over another man. All are equal in the eyes of God. 
And the only hierarchy of Christ is the hierarchy of service. It, it, the kingdom is not appointed from the top down except from heaven above. And it's up to the every individual at the bottom to exercise his ousia, his exousia, to decide who should be his own minister. You don't get it appointed from the top. You you pray about it and hope that God gives you a good choice. But your minister is not to rule over you. He's not to tell you what to believe and not to believe. He can have a conversation about it. But he is just to connect you with everybody else so you're a kingdom and not just a congregation. With Christ as the king, nobody else standing between you and Christ. But there is somebody standing between you and everybody else, but he's there to help connect you. Because anybody can just love those that are in their little home congregation. And you can all pat each other on the back, tell each other how much you believe. But that's not what Christ was teaching. He warned about that. You have to love people you don't even know. You have to cast your bread upon the waters. And have faith that God is in control. And you, you, you get, you put God in control by letting other people make their choices. Remember, God's not going to hear you because you wanted a king. Now if you want to set men free, set men and women free, then God will start hearing you. And he'll hear your prayers. But then you also have to walk in his ways. And start learning to live by charity. So, for thou regardest not the person of the men. That's what he means by cares for any. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Now, I explain this in great detail in other places. There are several links on the page to Caesar, to tribute, to hypocrites, etc. And so, all these things will expound upon it. But we're going to try to make a little bit more progress. But Jesus perceived their wickedness because they were trying to trap him. And of course, I said that with kind of a trappy voice and said, why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Okay, now he just called him a hypocrite. Oh, I hope he didn't offend them. <laughs> no, they're hypocrites. But now we're going to find out why they're hypocrites. And I'm going to I'm going to fill in some of the gaps so you understand. Because there's a couple of interesting words that is used here by Matthew. Show me the tribute money. So there's a certain money that's tribute money. And you, you can't pay tribute with just any coin. You have to pay tribute with tribute money, certain coins. And they're identified. And they brought unto him a penny. Well, they call it a penny. It's probably... Not a penny. As we think of it. But that's old English. That's fine. And he saith unto them. Who is this image. And subscription. Superscription. On this penny. Now who's he talking to? Pharisees. What are Pharisees? The Pharisees have all kinds of laws. That they want you to follow. All kinds of rules. Washing your hands. And doing all this stuff. You can't have any graven images. You can't have those, you know, of likeness of men or birds or any of that stuff. You can't have those things. Of course, that's a misinterpretation. 
by the Pharisees, and but they, it's a distraction that they create, so you don't actually know what those original judgments of Moses were really trying to tell you. And if you go read our article on the golden calf, you'll get a little bit of an idea. But he's saying, who is this image? And superscription, because there's a graven image on this coin, the tribute coin. They say unto him, Caesar's, with probably some trepidation and hesitation. Then saith unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Oh, wow. And when they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Don't play chess with Jesus because he knows what he's doing. He caught them. If Many of the Pharisees who had to pay tribute money at times, they would pay the tribute money. But they wouldn't touch the coin. And see, this is one of the things. When you had to pay with a certain coin, you had to go out and buy those coins if you didn't have one. And you bought, so it made those coins more valuable, especially at tax time. And so people would sell those coins for a price. You know, like you come in with, uh, you know, six ounces of silver and you want to buy a tribute money that's worth ten ounces of silver. Well, you might have to go and get another eleven, you know, another uh, five ounces of silver to buy that 10-ounce silver tribute money, if that's what you owe. Because it's a premium. You have to pay it in that coin of the realm. And the other secondary thing is that when this money came into circulation, it came through those great works, those public works. Caesar said, well, let's build a harbor in Judea. Let's build a road in Judea. It'll be a toll road. Let's build Caesarea. And we'll have a big marketplace. And guys will come from all over to sell their goods and their, you know, the, you know, there's a major depot. You know, we have warehouses now and everybody's coming into the depot and they're saying, well, I got all this wool. I got all these blankets. I got a hundred blankets. He can sit there all day and sell one blanket at a time. But there will be buyers who come in there and say, I'll take 20 blankets, load them on my donkeys. I can sell these in Frisia for more money. And and so these are places of trade. Everybody didn't walk all the way to Caesarea to buy a blanket. They Guys would go and buy 10 blankets, 20 blankets, 100 blankets, and then they would take our carpets or whatever it is that they're buying. But in order to do your transaction in that marketplace... You had to pay money to be in that marketplace. And every transaction, there was a sales tax on. Now, that would be passed on to the guy that you sold it to. But that's what... The, but the Romans would make money by building the market. And building the roads to the market. And building the harbor to the market. Because some guys will say, I'll take 500 of these blankets. Load them on my donkeys and take them to my ship. And I'll go sell them somewhere else. Because I could sell these really good over here for way more money. It's trade. Romans were good for trade. 
But they didn't build a road they weren't going to make money on. They didn't build a harbor they weren't going to make money on. So Caesar loaned that money into circulation. When you wanted to pay for your stay at a harbor, you're coming in with a big ship, you got to pay in coin that they're accepting. And it's about follow the money. And, and, and it's not wrong to make that money. And Caesar had every right to build the roads and marketplaces that he had. That's capitalism. What he didn't have the right is to kill a million Gauls and sell their wives and children into slavery so that you could make that money. Your leaders now are taking all kinds of bribes. You don't, you can't do anything about it because you're not organized like Christ said. You're not being a Christian like Christ said. You're thinking that, oh, if we just get this guy elected, it'll, he'll fix stuff. Now you can certainly do that. There's definitely some guys you do not want to get elected. But do not think that that is your salvation. Take a look at how far we have gone away from the way of Christ. And let's start going back. Verse 23, the same day came to him the Sadducees, which is a different group, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. So it's about inheritance. He would give her a child if she wanted to. This is the whole story of Ruth and Boaz. Who gets to take her as a wife and manage her estate? Now, her estate will eventually go to the child. Yet when Ruth's husband died, she had no children. Naomi said, go back to, you can go back to, there were two sisters there. Because there were two brothers who died. And one sister went back to her family and she could stay with her family or get married again and be, but she had no children. And Ruth could have done that too. But Ruth saw something in Naomi. She said, your people are my people. I'm going with you. She would not abandon Naomi. She stayed with Naomi. That's a woman of service. She would not leave Naomi to go all the way back to her home with nobody. She would go with her. And then when she got there, the closest relative wanted to marry her because now he will take care of the estate. Naomi's not going to have any children. Ruth evidently wasn't too bad looking. He marry her and give her a child, and but he's going to manage the estate. And uh, he, they weren't fine with that, but it was destined evidently that she was to marry Boaz. So without getting into the whole story, she eventually married Boaz, and from Boaz and Ruth came the lineage of Jesus Christ. And there's all kinds of reason for that, but you'll have to go look to our studies on that. So anyway, the Sadducees came and they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe that you, that you were resurrected from the dead. That you could come out of the tomb. Uh, that there was a life after death. They just think you're dead, you're dead. Same master, Moses said, and they present this idea of a wife getting married. And she can have a child. But the child will... And there's several people in Jesus' lineage that that is the case. Where they had a child for their brother. 
with their brother's wife after he died so that she had some child to raise. The other children were would be his, but they would at least raise at least one child to inherit what was his brother's. He wouldn't get it. He would get it while he was alive, but when he was dead, it would go to the the son that he gave Ruth. Likewise, the second also, the third, and unto the seventh. And he would have all these different children. And he says, and the last of all the women died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, in the afterlife, is what they're talking about, whose wife shall she be of the seven? They all had her. All these men. A lot of men died. <laughs> and uh, so he was... She was married to seven brothers, evidently, or seven men. So, whose whose wife will she be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry, nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead... Have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. Now, originally, they were just trying to talk about life after death. And... uh you know, as to the resurrection, some would say that, you know, it's like reincarnation. Because a lot of Judeans believed in reincarnation. Not transmigration of souls, but reincarnation. That you could come back as another person. I'm not saying one way or the other. But this was the dispute with people like the Sadducees. They didn't think you could come back. They didn't think there was a heaven. They thought you were dead. You were dead. They weren't very religious. But again, this theocracy that they call Israel or Judea, it's just a government. All governments are theocracies. Your God is the ruling judge. And, and we should get into that in the study that we're doing with Hillsdale College. They they mention that, Apotheos. Augustus was the Apotheos of Rome. In, in the, the poem by Ovid that... Uh, that we quote on the page about the nature of the beast. You can go look up nature of the beast, the metamorphosis, which is, you know, it's 15 books of poetry that was written by Ovid, who is held up in high esteem amongst the middle-aged Christians because of many of the things he says. But one of the things he says is that... Uh, the beasts do break their fast with flesh. They eat each other. And of course that has to do with this idea of biting one another. Which Polybius talked about 150 years before. And if you become accustomed to living or eating at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others, and institute, you will eventually institute the rule of force and force the contributions of your neighbor. That's taking a bite out of your neighbor. But of course, you'll become merchandise. You'll be devoured. 
And of course, that's New Testament telling you that. But if you're just skipping all those verses and you don't want to know what he's talking about, and you don't want to see, then maybe your conscience is seared. And you have no right reason. So, you know, where are you going with all this? (laughs) What's happening? What, What... are you are you even listening to what Christ is trying to tell you? So they did err; they did not understand. So, but when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, "So they're still tempting him. These are these are." The temptations of men, not the temptations of the devil, but they really amount to much of the same thing. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love thy Lord thy God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And this is the first and great commandment. But the second, is like unto the first, just like like unto the kingdom of heaven. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. So is that done away with? All the law of the prophets is not done away with. All the law, maybe as you understand, is done away with. But the law of God is not done away. The Ten Commandments, every single one of them is based on these two commandments. You love God. You're not going to make covenants with other men and make them give them the exousia, right to choose for you. You're going to keep the exousia, the right to choose for yourself. Of course, if you eat at their tables, you're going to lose the right to choose. Because those are deceitful meats. And of course, everybody has done it. And the people who may have come here and listened for the first time, where are they at? All the commandments. Stealing. Coveting. You don't love your neighbor if you covet your your neighbor's goods. I mean, not desire to have a house like your neighbor. That's not coveting his goods. It's desiring to have a piece of his house. If you want a piece of his house, a piece of his labor, a piece of everything that he owns so that you can have free education, you're coveting your neighbor's goods. There's going to be a price to pay. You think I can do this and get away with it? You're not humble enough. God will bring humility to your life. And it's coming quick like a freight train. So the last section here. Whose son is the Christ? While the Pharisees were gathered together. Jesus, Because this is still part of that same whole scenario. Jesus asked them. Saying, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. He say unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said unto my Lord. Now that there's two words there, Lord. L-O-R, when you see it written L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Yahweh. When you see L-O-R-D, small letters, it could be a number of different words. Maybe I'll put in the connection so you can see. But the quote is, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand 
till I make thine enemies thy footstool. And of course, now, in the Barnes Notes on Bible, commentary on the Bible, it says, How is the doctrine that he is descended from David consistent with what David says when he calls him Lord? How can your opinion be reconciled with that? That declaration of David is recorded in Psalms 110, verse 1. A Lord or Master is a superior. The, the word here does not necessarily imply divinity, but only superiority. David calls him his superior, his Lord, his master, his lawgiver, and expresses his willingness to obey him. If the Messiah was to be merely a descendant of David, as other men descended from parents, if he was to have a human nature only, if he did not exist when David wrote, with what propriety could he then call him his Lord? So, that's that's the question that he's putting before these guys. And of course, now, what have we been talking about? Resurrection, life after death, resurrection of the dead today, a repentance, all these things that we're talking about. And you have this Psalms 110, which is really a very short psalm. He says this and goes on, The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength. But that's the other Lord. L-O-O-O-R-D, all caps. Out of Zion rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power and the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. Now, in the rest of these verses, there's all kinds of things that are predicting what's coming in the future. It's also already come in the past to some degree, the day of wrath. There's been several days of wrath in the past. There's a day of wrath coming up. And of course, I'll put links in there eventually that show that that day of wrath is the day of consequences. And that we have to repent or we're going to suffer the consequences of what we have done. And it's in this same verse that he talks about Melchizedek. And of course, Jesus is this priest of Melchizedek. He's both a high priest because... He comes after John the Baptist because John the Baptist was put to death while he was literally the rightful high priest. He was really the rightful high priest because Zechariah was killed, murdered in the temple. And there was no more Sanhedrin. We talked about that this morning. That was a lawful Sanhedrin. There was no lawful temple because the temple was bloodied. And it's actually bloodied in several ways. When they instituted the Corbin of Herod and the Pharisees, they bloodied it. Because that's when they started taking a bite out of one another. And and no longer going to bear fruit. This idea that, is Jesus have a pre-existence? That, besides being God, was he, was he, did he have an, we don't know. And he doesn't tell us. And you could take all these verses, especially in this, and, and, 
get delve into that and create all kinds of ideas about resurrections and and life after death and, and draw all these pictures and if everybody's talking about that and trying to make all these interpretations from these few small verses where Jesus just says you do error you don't understand and he gives you a little little piece of the puzzle what happens is that you miss all the other stuff you know give to Caesar what is Caesar did did the Israelites have to pay their tally of bricks to Pharaoh? Well, they had an agreement. They had to make their yeses yes and their noes no. But Jesus could come in and intervene. Or, or Moses actually. Could. God was intervening through Moses in that whole process so that he was going to set the captive free. The same kind of thing. You don't need to know all the details of where we're going. What you need to know is that where you've gone is contrary to the way of Christ. It's it's not like the kingdom of heaven, which is a kingdom that is operating by faith, hope, and charity and love for one another. It's not a place you go to get a good feeling on Sunday or Sabbath or whatever days you worship on. It's about seeking the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God and it is simply not righteous to covet your neighbor's goods. It's not righteous to walk by the guy beat up in the ditch and not do something about it. It can be righteous to tell that guy never to go back that way again alone. Don't be stupid. <laughs> you can you can scold him. But you may have to help him. But how will you know? There's so many people that are going to need help. How will you know? You need the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, abiding in you. So you have to abide in the love of Christ. First thing to do is to come together in a congregation with the intention of serving. You can serve best those nearest to you. It is hard to serve people. doesn't mean you can't have conversations with people a long ways away. But, you, you know, I had a guy who came to me once and he was, oh, just so sweet and nice in the way he talked and everything. And so loving Jesus and loving the Bible and all this stuff. And uh, I, I say once, I actually just flashed on several more <laughs> in the past. Same thing happened. That uh, And I have a way of drawing this out of people. It's not me. I think it's the Holy Spirit. But somehow or other, it seems... I can make people cry and I can make people scream. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I think it's the, and I've also seen, and I give this full credit, the Holy Spirit make people bow. But what the deal is, if you, if you draw near the Holy Spirit, physically draw near the, or somebody that has the Holy Spirit following them or they're following the Holy Spirit, this will have consequences. The wrath of God will come sooner rather than later in that moment for that particular situation. But for most of you, you need that physical proximity. And one of the things I said to the ministers group uh, talking about to pass on to their congregations is that uh, don't be disheartened because so many people just don't want to hear this. They live in darkness. They will only hear it if, if they let the Holy Spirit into their life, the real Holy Spirit, not the emotional Holy Spirit or the, you know, conjured up Holy Spirit. I mean, because 
like like I said, there's a lot of false voices out there that aren't really Christ. And my voice is not Christ, but I talk about what Christ said. And you you have to find a place in your own heart to put it. And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. So this was a bunch of guys, we saw this for the last couple of chapters or so, tempting him, trying to get him to say something that would get him into trouble. And he kept thwarting them at every turn. And uh, so it's it's very interesting to, uh, but to bring some of this, you know, but they made light of having... Paid, uh, which means having paid no attention, and went their way, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. That's actually what what they're talking about in there, to his merchandise. Well, because of that, they became merchandise, and uh, people don't don't want to take the time. But, but if you if you love, I mean, there are people you cannot hold back helping other people. <laughs> That they uh, they just have to do it. They're just compelled to do it. But you need the Holy Spirit to do it. And so, peace on your house, and may God bless you. See you on the network. Form congregations. God bless you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.